Hello ladies and gentlemen and welcome back to Continental Aspire Soccer. In this episode, Nick Donnelly manages to speak to George Foster, a former footballer turned scout. George has one of the best reputations in the country amongst the football recruitment world and currently works with Southampton on a sort of part-time basis, which you get to hear a lot about in this interview. We hope you enjoy it. Hi everyone, so welcome to the CAS podcast um, on this beautiful Sunday. Um, I am actually here with a, a complete legend of the game. I'm here with none other than George Foster, um, uh, one of the best scouts in the UK, um, according to the likes of Graham Ricks and Glenn Hoddle. That's how I've come to know this this gentleman. Um, and so, George, just wanted to just wanted to start this off. Obviously, this is actually the second episode. Um, Obviously, he's spoken to Graham and some real, real great football people and some really good conversations. Um, what uh, take me take me kind of back? Because I think we met. I think we first spoke. It was uh, when I think you guys were in Bishamabi. I think you'd just come back from Spain. Yeah. Isn't yes. that right? And that was what that was what around two thousand and eleven. I think around uh, two thousand eleven. Yeah, it would have been around that time, Nick. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's quite a while ago. <laughs> Just shows Time flies, mate, doesn't it? It does, absolutely it does. Um, so, um, George, um, one of the things I want to, and this one of the things I always like to, like to ask people, because I always think that when you think of environments and you think of culture, um, you know, if I was kind of growing up with you, um, obviously, I mean, I just want to list, just let people know kind of a little bit about your background. So you're originally from Plymouth. Your career obviously started out at Plymouth. Obviously, you were at Exeter. You're at Exeter. You were at Derby County, um, and and then I think, if I'm not mistaken, don't don't even remind me. Sorry, my phones things just went down here. I'll just so I can let everybody know. Um, the next, and then you obviously Mansfield Town. That's what it was, and you played you played almost 400 games for them, just under 400 games, um, for Mansfield Town. Um, and then you've worked for a number of really good managers, um, had a lot of big experiences, um, obviously from, from management to then, to then obviously scouting's mainly where that's kind of what we're going to speak to you about today. But, but if, you know, way before all of that, um, if I was growing up with you and we grew up on the same street together and then we're going to, we're going to school together, who's George Foster? Well, I was from a family of eight, six sisters. And a brother. Uh, my father was a docker. Right. In Mill Bay Docks. Okay. Um, my brother, he, my bro- I've got an older brother. He went to work in Mill Bay Docks with my dad. Okay. Um, and I probably, Nick, that's where I would have probably ended up working in Mill Bay Docks as a docker if I, the good Lord hadn't given me the ability to play football. Right. Okay. And when you when you kind of talk about your your background, um, and and you're talking about like so obviously you went to you obviously went to school, um, obviously what what would you say what, what can you kind of remember what what kind of influenced you to get involved in football? How old were you when you got involved in the game? First, I was seven seven years of age. I remember I was okay. at uh, primary school. Okay. And the um, the history teacher was a football mad. He was football mad. Right. And so he set up a school team. We never okay. had one before that. Okay. And he set up a school team, and we had trials, and I got in. Um, 
into the team and really from there it just it just took off i i found that i i mean i always loved i was always out with the football i mean every christmas my present was a case football right okay that lasted me nick lasted me one year okay till the christmas and then i'd have another football to take me through the other year <laughs> and i used to go down to the back court on my own just okay. kicking the ball against the the, the, the wall my neighbours used to go potty because all they could hear was this ball banging against the wall. Right foot, left no, foot. No ball games, right? The signs used no. to say no ball games. <laughs> that that went up. I think they got that fed up with me. They got the council in to put a sign up, no ball games. <laughs> there it is. I like oh. it. I like it. <laughs> you know, it, it's interesting when you see that sign, no ball games, because you see that in working. I always used to see them on council houses, only yeah. council houses. And then I, I, I was said to, I was said to my parents, I'm like, why does it say no? But and then I realised this is where the footballers are, and that actually got me to play in those types of areas because I was like, this is where the footballers are. Do you know what I mean? So it's yeah, <laughs> good, good, good point. Yeah, really, really. Nick, good it's point. true what they say. We, you know, we people, you, the kids used to knock on my door because I had a football. So I, I, I was the one whose door they knocked on, and we'd go down the back court. And it wasn't a big area, and we we played 11, 12, 13 aside. Right. Okay. You know, and what it did, you know, in those tight areas, it gave you that ball mastery, that that technical right. ability to be able to move the ball in tight areas. You know. Mm. Without so, without knowing about right. it at the time. And so as so as you were progressing, and you were like you were gaining more confidence as a kid, and then obviously you go to high school and. Did you, from that age, did you kind of feel like, what were your parents like? Were they supportive? What what type of people were they in, in terms uh, of? Nick, I don't know how my dad did it. I mean, you know, eight children, mum, dad, yeah. my grandfather lived with us as well. So we had 11 in in, in the, the council flat. You know, it was, we had four bedrooms, but somehow we just got on with life. But he was... You know, he, he pushed us all the way, all of us. Right. You know, with me, with my education, you know, I, I, I was lucky enough to, to pass my 11 plus and I went to a, a, a high school called Tamar in Plymouth. Okay. And lucky enough for me, they had an unbelievable um, PE department. Right. And the two teachers there, it was actually a rugby school. Right, because uh, Plymouth is quite a rugby place, isn't it? Would it be very yes, rugby yes, oriented? Yes, it is. Cornwall and Devon, uh, you know, are, are rugby places. Um, and you know, the good thing was the you know we did every sport. We you know I played basketball, cricket, athletics, football, rugby. You know, I spent more time out of class than I did in class because I was, mm. you know. A sportsman that could play all the different sports right okay and so do you think that kind of so as your parents you were saying they really motivated you um did all, many of your siblings were they also involved in sport or were you kind of the predominant one sibling that was like very sports mad and very very driven yeah i, I was the sports person i mean you know in those days, Nick, all those years ago, women, the, the females, the six sisters, mm -hmm. they weren't probably career-driven at the time. You know, right. they, 
in, in say those days, they tended to, you know, go to school, come out, work, get married, have children, and be a housewife. Right, okay. You know? It's very different now, isn't it? It's a very different oh. generation. No, absolutely. Absolutely. So as so once you obviously go then, so you're in high school, right? And you're going through um what sort of did did you really when you went to high school, so you're around what, eleven, twelve, eleven or twelve, you yeah. go to school, did you want to be at that stage was being a professional footballer, was that was that was that like your ambition? Were you single minded? Were you was it more later on? But towards the end of high school when you kind of said or what was your what was your, what way? No, I, 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 Nick, I think I, I knew that I, I had uh, an ability okay. to play football. I, I, and going to the high school, going to my high school, um, that was great for me because, mm. you know, I, I was involved in all the sports. Football okay. was football. Actually, I, I was a better rugby player than I was a footballer. No but way. in those days, um, there was no, you didn't get paid for playing rugby. It was an amateur sport. Right. So, you know, and, and then, you know, when I, whilst I was at school, I got into the, to the Plymouth School Boys, the representative side. Okay. Um, so that was like the beginning. Yeah. The, the Plymouth Argyle, Plymouth Argyle, then the, um, the chief scout came, knocked on my door, asked to speak to my dad said that he wanted me to sign. They, that was associate schoolboy forms then. Right. You what know? year would this have been? What year? Oh, would so it, not to show people your age, you know what I mean? <laughs> this would have been, um, what was I? 56. This would have been early 70s. Early 70s, okay. Yeah, yeah wow. early 70s. Um, and, you know, I, 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 I had other offers I had interest from Birmingham City, Man City, but, you know, I felt that I had a better chance of of progressing if I stayed at my local club, which was Plymouth Argyle. Right, okay. So it worked um, out quite well, didn't it? Because that was where you were from. That's where you grew up. And so did you grow a big, did you grow like a big infinity with the fans there as you progressed in, at Plymouth? Did you really grow a big? Was there was it a very community based club at that time? Yeah, I, I, Nick, I think I think everybody, you know, I, even nowadays in the modern day game, supporters love to see local boys. Yeah, they wow. do. Yeah, you know they and and you know we 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 had a, a super youth setup at Plymouth when I joined. You know we had we had players that played five six hundred games for Plymouth. Kevin Hodges. Lee Cooper, Chris Harrison, they all played four, five, six hundred games for Plymouth Argyle. So they wow. joined at 15 until they finished their careers. Oh my goodness, um, okay. I, I left it, I left when I was 25 because I, I, I wanted to, uh, looking ahead, I wanted to go into coaching, into management. And okay. being at Plymouth, really, you only had Torquay and Exeter. Bristol Rovers maybe, but even then that was a, a, a big journey up to Bristol from Plymouth. Right, okay. And so I thought then that if I came up, Derby, Derby County came in and, and wanted to sign me, and, and I thought then that if I go to Derby, which is in the middle, I'll have far, far more options later on to stay okay. in football. And right, okay. As it happens, it's, you know, it was the best decision I made because... 
fortunately enough, I've been out, I've been out in in the great games, you know, up to now. Right. And so, so when you were kind of coming through that kind of process as a player, um, so um, obviously you were, um, sort of not mistaken here, you obviously started out, so you started out as a striker, isn't that right? You started originally started as a striker, and then what? And then you became, you obviously became a centre half. Explain to that transition. Well, you know they they say that you know they sometimes you need a bit of luck in life. Mine, right. mine was that as a striker, you know I was a good target man, and but I couldn't score goals. I didn't have the ability to score mm-hmm. goals. You know, if I if I tapped the near post, it went to the far post. If I tapped the far post, it went to the near post. I just couldn't find the ball in the box. Why do you think that was? If you're looking back now, um, what why do you think? What would you think the reason for that was? Do you think you just your your just lack of lack of kind of I suppose in front of goal intelligence or in the final third was just lacking? No, I, or what no, do you I, think it was? Nick, I I believe that I, I believe that goal scorers. Uh, they're born, right? You know, you can teach, you can teach players about movements inside, outside the box. The 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 real prolific goal scorers, they find the ball. Somehow yeah. they end up in the right area, mm. get on the end of the ball, and and score goals. I I didn't have that ability. It it just wasn't. But what I had was I had the defensive abilities. Okay. You know, but it took. We, I, I remember we were. I was sat on the subs bench. We were playing uh, Birmingham City. Okay. In the Anglo-Saxon Cup, something like that. Uh, uh, some tournament. What Trevor year Francis. Would this have been? What, oh what gosh, year? what would this have been? It would have been when I was seventeen, eighteen years of age. Right. And oh, Trevor Francis, would you guys be the? How old would he be? He's older than you, isn't he, Trevor Francis? Yeah, Tre- Trevor's a Plymouth boy. Um, okay. Because when I was coming through from Plymouth, I was always the next Trevor Francis. Wow! I was okay. always. I, and listen, I was never on, in his. He obviously everybody knows him. He obviously went on to win two European Cups, Nottingham Forest. Yeah, yeah. Um, at that time, and what what type? When you looked at him. And you looked at yourself. What did you? What comparisons did you make um, with no, him? None at all. None at all. Because okay. because <laughs> we were two different types of players. Trevor Trevor was always destined to go and play at the top level. Wow. Okay. You know? I mean, I had a I had a magnificent career. You played seven hundred and fifty games, but mine was sort of couple of years in the championship as it is now, but most of my career was in the first division as it is now. Yeah. You know? Wow. So I never reached the heights that he did. Um, and I was never going to. He was always an exception, Trevor. He was an, a, a, an absolute, you know, terrific did you, player. Did you ever get to play against uh, him or any of the top strikers of that era as a centre-half once, you got, once, you, once yeah. you got converted well, to being a centre-half? That's what changed my career, really, Nick, because um, we were playing Birmingham City tre- at Home Park. Trevor, um, Tony Woodcock, I mean, they were, they were a first division club then, which Premier. Mm. So they came down, and uh, I was sat on the bench, and our centre-half got injured, John Pedelty. And so the manager then, Mike Kelly, 
was going to bring on somebody else in midfield and move a midfield player back. And the the physio at the time, Tommy Eccleston, was a very experienced football man. And he said to, 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 to the manager, put George on. Put him on at centre-back. He won't let you down. Right. So he went, <laughs> Did they tell okay. you about this? Did they tell you about this first? <laughs> no. No, it was... He right. said, go on, go okay. on then, uh, all right, Tom, I'll, you know, if you go on, on you go. And I did really well. Okay. You know, and it was, you know, Foster comes on at centre-back and man of the match and blah, 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 and all those things. And um, that's when my career took off, Nick. Right, that's, okay. Because that's, that's, I, that's, so it really took, like what you just said, I think it's important what you said there and that the, our audience can see is that, is that and for a lot of parents is that they think because do you find not find in the modern game where they're trying to they just want to put a kid into a position but you obviously as much as you could play as a striker you weren't going to be effective as a striker but you could still play the position but but at the same time being a center half was where and i think you would say it being an attacker is a positive position being a, a being a i suppose it's just looking at the game in a more negative sense once you become a once you become a defensively minded player isn't it so 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 then you go in and then obviously you progress and how do you find how do you feel like your your progression's going how long did it take you to adapt from being a striker to a center half along the well, funny enough uh, bobby saxton who was um, a very very experienced center back um and was was my manager as well down there told me it would take me about 18 months um, which at the time I thought I said to him no Gaffer I, I, you know I, I, I feel now that I, he went no listen you're doing well enough but with strikers everything's positive right. you know you, right. you, you gamble you gamble on everything as a defender you don't gamble on anything he right. said as a matter of fact you become a pessimist you expect your mates to make mistakes you expect the goalkeeper to drop it so right. it's a completely different thought pattern Right. Okay. And so, right. so, so once you go from Plymouth, um, and and so you're thinking ahead. So was that the reason you left Plymouth? You decided to move on. The new manager came in, Bobby Murdo, uh, Bobby Monker, the ex okay. Newcastle. He came down as the new manager. We didn't quite hit it off. Right. Okay. For what you know, for whatever reasons, it was you know, it was a two way thing. It was partly me. It was partly him. Um. So we fell out. Uh, then I went on loan to Exeter City. Right, I mean, at okay. the time, I was captain of Plymouth Argyle. I was, you know, ever present, one player of the years, and you know, was, you know, that that's. Uh, so I went to Exeter City, which okay. was only forty miles up the road. You right, know, big. Okay. You know, big. You know, when you have your local derby, Plymouth Exeter, it's a big local derby. Absolutely. There's not a lot of love loss yeah. between the two clubs. A derby's a derby, you know what I mean? <laughs> Absolutely. Um, yeah. So I went there for six months till the end of the season and won the Player of the Year at Exeter City. Right. Absolutely. Which okay. was, you know, which which was unheard of at the time. Okay. But my future then wasn't at Plymouth. It it, it was no going back. So, you, you know, um, I just want to actually ask you about that. So, you've obviously come through the ranks. You're a Plymouth boy. You're at the club. And then you become club captain. Do you think when Bobby Moncur came in, and obviously coming from a big club like Newcastle United, right? 
Um, would you say that? Would you say that there was? Uh, it was like almost like two alpha males clashing. <laughs> it was like you, you're you're the captain. He's the new guy. That's just he's the new manager. Would you say that was part of it, or why would you say it just didn't work? I just I, I don't think I was ever that tight knit. You know where I was. Okay. Uh, where I was arrogant, or it, everything was about me. I, you know, um, but you know, the argument was a two-way thing. It wasn't all the manager, and it wasn't all me. It was right. Just okay. That people say it was a clash of personalities. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. But you know, they. I, I, so I was, I was as much to blame as he was. Right. Okay. And you so, know, so whenever you, whenever you looked at the whole, the whole dynamic of like the relationship. Um, versus the other managers that you had in the rest of your playing career, what would you say the dynamic was with, was with those other managers? As because obviously you're a leader at this point, you're you're obviously you've played a lot of games. How many games would you? Because you would have played what two hundred and um, what, over two hundred games at Plymouth when you left. Yeah, about two hundred and fifty, near two hundred and fifty games. Nick, I played for two hundred and fifty. Okay, that's quite a lot of football. <laughs> yeah, it's a lot of games. Yeah. And so, so then, obviously, you go up to Exeter, and and how was how was that transition from Plymouth? What was the what was it like? It was strange. Yeah, it was strange because of the rivalry. Right. But but Exeter had a they 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 had a good side at the time. Right. You know they 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 were they were some decent players there. You know, but it was diff it was strange for me to travel forty miles up the road for training every day. Wow, you know, right, okay. I, I, you know, but I, I thoroughly, really enjoyed my time in Exeter City. Absolutely yeah, okay. loved it, you know. So then, um, at that time, when obviously you were there, did you did you think you'd be there for a similar time frame as what you were at, at, at Plymouth? Or did you think, yeah, I'll probably end up moving? I'll probably end up moving. I'll probably end up moving. I think I think if 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 Exeter could have come up with the deal, right? Um, I'd, I'd have probably signed for Exeter because right. I enjoyed I enjoyed it that much. Okay. But, you know, I was coming out of contract as well, Nick. Um, right. And you know, I had I had some big clubs that that you know I went for a trial at uh, Middlesbrough. Uh, I remember Terry Venables was on the phone. He wanted me to go up to QPR. You know, they were on the all-weather surface at the time. Right. Um, uh, Brighton. And, and I, actually, I actually went to Brighton um, and was that around, What year was that? What year would that have been? Gosh, that would Nick. have been around, what, 19... What, 19... Eight, would have been 80, 82, uh, would have been 82, 83. Okay. Yeah. And so was that the time around that time? Remember when Black Brian Clough, he was offered the job at Brighton, wasn't he? As well, but yeah, then he ended up going yeah. to Leeds instead. Yeah. No, he wasn't there then. The he would, would have been way before. Okay. Because yeah, he had originally yeah. went to go to Brighton. So you maybe could have played under him in, in oh. certain circumstances. I would have been good. I, I, I? Would, have, I would have loved to have done that. <laughs> Yeah, you know, I would wow. have loved to have played under him. Right, Absolutely. okay. That's 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 really it's it's fascinating though, isn't it? Where you end up and stuff, and and so you so you went in trial even though you had been an established player. I mean, you'd played. Wow, that's that's interesting. And then so obviously once you finish there, 
you then, so fast forward, so you end up going to Derby County. You yeah. go to Derby County. Explain to us kind of how, in terms of what that was like, because obviously you're going kind of further north. You're going towards the Midlands. Yeah, yeah. What was that like compared to Plymouth and Exeter? and? It was like an that? upheaval. It, Nick, it was an upheaval because, you know, it's 250 miles away. I, you know, born in Plymouth, been there, you know, I was 25 years of age, was married with a little daughter. And so we were moving lock, stock and barrel. We were selling a house. We were moving lock, stock and barrel up to Derby. Okay. No friends, no, you know, didn't know anybody. Right. Um, but, you know, it was a great, it was a great move for me. You know? Right, okay. John Newman, who was the manager at the time, was manager at Exeter City. John, oh, John Newman. Godfrey, was, right? John, uh, John Newman. John Newman, yeah, yeah. John Newman. He was the manager at Derby. Right, okay. Um, but John was the manager at Exeter City as well. And right. also, John was the captain of Plymouth Argyle when I was a kid. And oh, I used to, right, okay. when I used to, to, to bunk into the, get into the ground, John Newman was one of my heroes. Oh, no way, okay. So, so um, that whole, so for you, for you, there was, there was such a, but Derby County was still a very good side. They were, they were, a, they were a good team, weren't they? They, I think they just come out of the out of the first division. Then they were they were a championship club, but okay. the, the club at the time Nick was in financial difficulty. There was no money about, um, and probably that's how I ended up there because you know there, there, the shortage of money, you know, to I buy to buy better better class players. Right. Um, okay. So you know, in a way, it worked in my favour. Um, right, okay. I thoroughly enjoyed my 18 months at Derby, you know, terrific club, the baseball playing, you know, playing against Man United in the fifth round of the FA Cup, you're there. What was playing. that, that Man United team, who was in that Man United team at the time? Gosh, Whiteside, um, Robson, um, it was that era, you know, really? that, wow. yeah, that was... It was, we played them at the baseball ground, full house, fifth round of the FA Cup. We got beat 1-0 with a goal five minutes from time by Norman Whiteside. Oh, is that right? And, and Nick, I never, uh, there was about three or four grounds I never played at, and Old Trafford was one of them. Right, was that always and all a I could think, All I could think about was, you know, what, how much longer thinking about be, uh, a replay at Old Trafford. Oh man! Oh. So well, Norman, listen, you you were Norman, you were there. You you were at Nor you you were at Man United. You, know, you know what a you know what a big club that is. Oh, I know. I mean, I mean, one of the things I would say is that um, did he score near the end of that game? Five minutes from the end. Five. I'm not. I'm just curious. This is just a, a hypothetical. But did he score the goal where he hit it on the volley? It went across the goal. No, is that the one? No, from, it was from across. That was delivered into the box, and he came in and finished it with his left foot into the oh. corner of the of the. Oh of the right! Oh my! So was that, that your the, fault? Was that goal your fault? Yeah, pro probably. I should have done better on it. I should have done better on it. Absolutely. Right, right. and so um, you had a really good eighteen months at Derby. So kind of fast forwarding out of your out of your playing career, because I think we've established kind of what it was all about. So then you obviously decide to go into coaching. 
that the next transition for you, pretty much? No. Well, I, I left. I left Derby and signed for Mansfield Town. Yeah. So and after Mansfield a, Town, what was that? What was that like compared to all the other clubs you've been at? Mansfield. Mansfield then was a, a, a fourth division club. Right. But, so it was but there down. was a manager there called Ian Greaves, okay. ex-Man United. Right. Okay. Ex-Man United. He was a he was an experienced great manager. Right. Okay. Um. He asked me to go up and have a chat with him. I did. Nick. He he locked the door. He wouldn't let me out until I signed. Really? Oh my god. Wouldn't let me out. You know. And he was Ian was one you wouldn't you you wouldn't go to you wouldn't fight Ian. There was only going to be one winner if you had a fight with him. That was Ian. Exactly. Green. It's always good to remember that. <laughs> oh dear. And and do you know Nick? I signed I signed a three year contract with with um, with Mansfield Town. Okay. And didn't even tell my wife. Why? Would, I didn't why tell her. That? Well, there, there were no phones in those days. Right. He wouldn't okay. let me out the office, Nick, until I signed. So I went, okay, signed the contract. When I got right. home, I said to my wife, "I've just signed for Mansfield Town." And what what years. did what did your wife say? She listened. My wife has always been very, very supportive in my yeah. career. Yeah. Whatever decisions I've made, Nick, she's always backed me one hundred percent. That's the name of the game, isn't it? You know what I mean? That's that's why it's good to keep your wife on side, isn't it? <laughs> well, listen, she she's the boss. She knows it as well. <laughs> yeah, it's it's uh, so so obviously so obviously you obviously you have a very good stint. What was your time like at? Uh, at Mansfield Town compared to all your other spells at Derby and very, Exeter and Plymouth? Very, very successful. You right, know, okay. it, it, I, I knew it would be with Ian. We got promoted um, out of the fourth division into the third division. We got to the final of the Freight Rover Cup um, at Wembley against Bristol City. Uh, 72,000 people there. We won on penalties. I got to go up the steps to pick up the trophy at Wembley. Okay. Last person, Nick, here's a piece of trivia. I was the last person ever to walk up the Wembley steps, the old Wembley steps, to pick up a major trophy. Really? Okay. Mm. Wow. And so whenever, so at that time, obviously you went to a club, they were in the fourth division. How did you kind of find that transition, George, from, from kind of going from the division, from where you were playing with Derby, um, and clubs like that to the fourth division. Did you feel that was a step backwards, or do you, what do you what do you think? What was I, the... Nick, I thought it was a step backwards to make a step forwards. Okay. Okay. Um, and and you know, Ian Ian Greaves was was a great manager. He right. was a great man manager. You know, I I I would have gone through a brick wall for Ian Greaves. Right. Okay. I, I would have. I, I. I'd have. I'd have done anything he asked me to do, and I had so much faith in him. Right. You know that I knew the club would eventually go on and and and, and be successful, which it was. Right. Okay. And so, I've uh, oh, gone ahead. Gone ahead. Well, the, the the thing was as well that Nick that he knew that of my interest in coaching. You know, and and I, you know, he he used to let me take some training sessions with the kids. You know, I was I, I wasn't a coach there, and in a way, it worked in my favour because Ian Greaves eventually got me the manager's job at Mansfield Town. Right. Okay. And so it, it was Ian. 
Right. So all of these, and it's you know, it's interesting. And you you know, when you look at when you look at kind of where you've come from and kind of where it all started, and and I think that's always a unique thing because it's looking at the people who have kind of shaped you on that journey. All of the people that you really respect in the professional game. Um, and do, do you think do you think when you kind of look when you look at that now and you look at your you look at your whole playing career, which in, from my estimate was a very successful playing career. Do you know what I'm saying? And what would you say, George, was the keys to, to the success that you had to, to setbacks to, you know what I mean? When, say, for example, when you didn't get along with Bobby, it was just a clash of personalities. What, what, how would you summarize your playing career if you, if, you were to, if you were to think about what really led to your successes? I, I, I think well, on, on, on my testimonial, I asked Ian Greaves to write a preface for me okay and he put on there that every training session that i did was like it was my last training session right wow and that's that was my career nick every every game every training session mm. I, I i there's not a minute that went by in my career that i didn't relish Right. And even, even, you know, when I, I was going through the bad times. Right. You know, and, and, and I think that was when Ian Greaves said that, you know, every training session that George did was like it was his last training session. Right, okay. Yeah. And I, so, I thought that was a, a great honour for him to say that. So the whole, would you say as, would you say as like, a, you, know, you know, when I look at kids now, um, George, when I look at kids now, and you know the way they say, train how you play train as if it's a match so um do you do you think why why do you why do you think other players they where you'll see a player and train you think oh my god or you'll see him in a game and he's shocking but in training he looks like the next best thing but what why do you why do you think a lot of people don't really have that why do you think a lot of people don't have that mentality what do you what do you think the reason behind that is well, and in my case, Nick, I think it was my father was, you know, my father was a, you know, we knew that he loved us, but he he was a hard taskmaster, you know. Right. You know, he, you know, he was a grafter. Right. He was, you know, he was a, he was a docker. He was a grafter. He was, a, you know, um, and he, he enforced that into us, the work ethic. Right. You know. And to be fair, Nick, that's what I've that's what I've done with my children, my daughters. Right. You know, I've ingrained into them about work ethic, about having a worth ethic, and both of them have. Yeah, absolutely. You know? And that was from that was from my that's what my father gave me. Yep, absolutely. So, so really, when you when you look at all the influences, and because I think as well, when you when you see kind, because I think as well, especially being a footballer during the during the seventies and the eighties. Do you know what I mean? That they were like really like, <laughs> I mean, if you look at how, how much a player get, gets kicked, how, how hard you've really got to work. I mean, really hard in pros. You know what I mean? Like, for example, if you look at, if you looked at, I mean, I know Derby was one of the clubs you were at. And I remember when Brian Clough was there and some of the players he was bringing in and they were just hard in pros. You know what I mean? But when you look at like the work ethic and I, I find when, when you're around players, and you and you know it's you know with analysis now being so prevalent in the game, um, 
you, obviously you can say, oh, you can't get, you can't, uh, you can't get away with things because because it'll be seen. <laughs> and so, like you have somebody say, oh, this player here is really good because he ran eleven miles in the game. This player is is really is really poor because he only ran seven. But then the manager might come in and say, well, no, he ran seven, but his pass completion. And his his stats are far better. You know what I mean. So so I suppose there's a it's 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 interesting when you look at it from that perspective, isn't it? If you Nick, if you've got a that, if you've got a prolific goal scorer, yeah. If you've got it in your team, you've got a prolific goal scorer. Mm. Why do you want him running out in wide areas? Why do you want him running eleven, twelve, fourteen k? Right. You know when he can run five, six, seven k in and around the penalty area and score you thirty goals a season. Right, you know, yes, yes. So, wow, that's, you know, that's it's, that's it's horses for yeah. courses, isn't it? It is, absolutely. And when you look at where the scouting is kind of going and the whole England DNA, what, is your, what are your thoughts on the England DNA in, in terms of how scouting has changed um, in the UK? What ways do you think it's improved? What, 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 what do you think of where... Um, recruitment is right now in the UK and how scouts think well I, I, I think that, that you know my experience of it now is I say a lot of it's analytical now a lot of it's stats driven um, so you have the, the younger element now of recruitment that don't think that they need the experienced eye anymore they think that they can find the players um, on, their, on their tools on their, on their systems and the experienced scouts think that that can't be done and it's all about the eye. But actually, Nick, well, actually, it needs each other. Absolutely. It needs Very each much. other. Yeah. But I, I, don't think that the, I don't think that the analytical side should drive the experience. I right. think the, drive, the experience should drive the analytical side. So, for example... I think that if if I if I go to watch a player, right, abroad or in England, okay, watch him live. I then go to the analytical team and say, right, let's let's get all the stats on him. Let's have a look at his past games. Let's see if what I've seen you can marry up. Right. So then you you you, you then got a you got a, a, a you you got a better idea then of what the player is what. What the analytical side doesn't give you, Nick, is, you know, is the, 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 the type of person he is. You can't see on a DVD what type of person he is. You can if you see them live, as you know. If you're watching a live game, you can see the players with good attitudes. You can see the players that are probably a little bit short on attitude, you know. You, you can see what they do off the ball. You can't see that on, on, on laptops, on computers. You know what? What's their movement? What's their attitude like? What What do they do when the balls you know, in transition? When the balls down the other side? What What are they clever? What are they looking to pull in other areas? You know, as right. defenders, when when the teams attacking, are they looking at positions to be taken up in case you know the ball they lose possession and, and, and come on to the counter attack? All those things you need to do live. Yeah, absolutely. So you know when you're looking then. Um when you looked at, like, for example, um, so I know, um, I think Graham Ricks, he, Graham had actually spoken with you about um, the young lad that's at Reading, um, Andy Renamoto. 
So obviously you'd had Andy Rinna. When you first seen Andy Rinamoto, and obviously as we know, um, I spoke to Stella and I actually asked them about Andy Rinamoto. And you know what they told me? They think he's going to go for over 25 million. <laughs> he's going to go for a lot of money. Um, and he's a player that that, Rick, that Graham Ricks recommended you. He recommended you to. And um, what, um, what, do, what do you think he had when you first seen him? Um, and obviously, when Graham spoken to you and you guys have woke, worked together, it was did Graham Ricks have a lot of respect for the the scouting side of it? Because he's not a scout; he's a he's a coach. He's obviously a head of coaching. Yeah. Well, Graham 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 has done scout the scouting role as well. Because when I was at Wolves, I didn't know Graham, but Glenn said, "Listen, Graham Ricks is down in that area, and you know he's got lots of experience." you know let's use him which which i did so graham actually worked for us at wolves okay so he did have some he did have some some experience with scouting but nick graham ricks has played for arsenal he's played for england in world cups and he rings me and says i've got a young player at porchester i i, I think he's got something will you come down what do i say then well no, great, because you know I don't think you you would really have an eye for a player. You've only played for Arsenal, England, <laughs> World Cups. You can't really say no. Finals, can't really you know. say no. <laughs> you can't really and, say no. You know, and especially, and, and, especially you know, it's funny. We we did an interview with Graham, and we we spoke about the bad foot club he used to run at Chelsea, and he brings in Franco Zola and Viali and and a lot of the continental lads, Marshall Dassay. You know, they all took a really big interest in it, and uh, so he's probably sent you. You got to come down. I don't have him in the bad foot club yet. <laughs> 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 you know, uh, yeah. uh, that's interesting. Uh, Nick, I, I, you know, I, I'm looking at him in the game, and it, you know, it, it, it wasn't the best quality. And if I if I remember, I think it was quite a, the weather wasn't the best on the day. Um, but I, I could see what Graham saw in him. I right. I could see that. And and then of course I I I took him to Swansea for a week in the academy because he was at that age group, and in their wisdom. You know, um, they said that they didn't think that he was of the quality that that Swansea were looking for. Did you disagree with that? Did you disagree yeah. with that decision? Well, why did you disagree? Would you say? I I, I think Nick that, that um, sometimes not not everywhere, but sometimes the coaches at academy level are very protective towards their own, and. You know, they sometimes they won't let outsiders in. Also, as well, Nick, that you know, if I was a developer of footballers, i.e., a coach developer, I would look at his potential, not right. where he is now, but where he could be if I got the work in him and he 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 responded to 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 my coaching. Right. I'm not saying I was a great coach or anything, but but. They're tending to want them to be players then, and they're right. not. They're just potential, right. like Jordan Hugo. Oh, Nick was so raw, was so raw, but there was potential there for, yeah. for good coaching to make him a player, and that's what that's what Andy was. He right. he, had, he he had the potential. 
and I don't know whether they 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 made the decision on him as he was that then instead of what he could have been. Yeah, it's it's interesting because I remember speaking to and I was speaking to Andre Kanchelskis and I asked him. I said, "Where do where do the top agents in England when they looked at Andy Renamuto? Because they always keep an eye on the players. And I don't know England would be looking at him simply because he's still. I think I think what age is he now? I think he's what about twenty, twenty one. Um. So, but he said to me, England would be looking at a player like him. But if you look at his ability, he says that. I think he told me that they definitely viewed him at Stella. They viewed him as like a, a lower, like a pretty much a mid-table Premier League club. They view him at that level and possibly, possibly higher, depending on how he progresses. But if you've got a player like that who came from nowhere and he just he just needed that that platform, and I suppose that's what we do at CAS is that we want to provide a platform for the young players. You know what I mean to to progress in the game because they need a lot more help now because I think football is tougher now. It's more demanding. I think the financial rewards are higher. They're greater. So even as a scout, there's a lot more pressure to produce because clubs just, they need that next best player. You know what I mean? They need, they don't want, they don't want potential as much now. And so that's why you see, I suppose, not as many good coaches around the game because, you know what I mean? They just want that player that's ready and players that can go in and run the session. But if you look um, in your experience, George, and and you look at um for example so Andy obviously Swansea didn't take him. What happened then? So obviously then he ended up going to Reading, didn't he? He ended up going to Reading and well, he, he, he went back to Porchester with Graham. Right. And then Greg Graham obviously knew Steve Clark. Right. From his time at, at Chelsea. Right. The manager he was manager at Reading then. Right. So Graham rang Steve said, look, which he said to me, I've, I've got a player here and I think that the boy's got potential. Right. Could be, going to be, can be a player. Right. He goes to Reading within, within, within a day, I think, within a day or two days of training, they've got him signed up at Reading. Right. You know, so right. they, obviously Steve Clark saw something in him that, I saw in him that Graham seen in him that they didn't see him didn't see in him at Swansea. Right, right. And so, so, so when you look, so when you looked at that, and are you surprised that he's went on to he won Player of the Year at Reading? Are you surprised at that or no? Do you know, Nick, when you think that he's gone from Porchester to the to, to the Player of the Year at Reading, a Championship club, right, and in a relatively short period of time. You know, when you're talking about how far can he go, look at what he's done already. So yes. he's yeah. passed all those barriers. You know, could he could he play in the uh, in the under twenty threes at Reading? Did that? Can he play in the first team in the championship? Done that. Player of the year. How how much further could he go? Right. You know. Absolutely. Yeah. Yep. You know, people people can say, well, he, he's a mid mid you know, Premier League player. But when he was at Porchester, if you said he was going to be a championship player, you'd probably go, oh, that's a little bit ambitious. Right. Now, it, it, it's, it's interesting, though, is that um, is that when people, but also as well, I mean, you think about at, at Swansea, did any of the players that were in the Swansea under-18s, did any of them ever progress to Swansea City's first team? 
I think, I think, yeah, I think two or three of them have, Nick. Yeah. Yeah, I think would they have. Say, would you say they've had the impact that Andy Renamoto's had? Probably not. That's interesting, isn't it? Like, yeah. when you think about that, uh, yeah, it's a good, <laughs> it's a good, a good thought to have. Um, and and then so so obviously, as you look at obviously all your other experience, obviously you also worked with Cardiff City, um, and um, and that that position there, and and obviously you've held so many great positions. Work with other people like Nicky Barmby and and a lot of a lot of great great um, whose son I think was Jack Jack Barmby, who was at Manchester United. He he was there. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, and and so then obviously you're doing a lot of stuff with Southampton at the minute. You work with Southampton, is that correct? Yes, I work. I work for the academy. Right, Some okay. consultancy work for the academy. Yet, so and how how you find how you finding that that role? I I enjoy it, Nick. It's you know they're they're good people. You know they're good people at Southampton. It's a well run club. You know I respect the work that they do there. You know my my line manager. It's um it, it Southampton is is terrific. You know the head of recruitment. You know he's got his finger on the pulse there, right? It's Southampton, and and it's a pleasure to be a part of that that team. Although it's on a part time basis, yeah. You know, you they they still make you feel part of things. You know. So would you say compared to compared to that role, and and I mean, as you look at the the job that's at Southampton, would you say that Southampton? Because obviously they obviously had the likes of Gareth Bale. David Luke Shaw. I mean, they've had some really, some really smashing players come through there. Um, and it's funny because um, I, I suppose like one of the clubs that obviously that we're trying to, that we're obviously trying to take over at the minute, who used to actually be at Southampton, <laughs> which I find qu quite interesting. So, and you can see when I've watched him, you can see the glimpses of what makes him a what makes him a very good footballer. You know, and um, you can see. The, the dynamic of of a really good player, even though he's not there anymore. But um, but when you look at a lot of the kids that are coming through at Southampton, what how many do you think that you're looking at right now, and you think right he could be a star of the future? Well, Nick, I, I I've watched because obviously because of the, the virus and the things shut down, we're we're still doing at Southampton. We're still doing like video work. And part of that is to have a look at the our own players, okay. because you know we can be off here, there, and everywhere, making judgments on players and not knowing what we've actually got in our own football club. So yeah. they've done well, and, and it's clever thinking. They're utilising the time on us watching videos of our own players. Right now, I've watched our under fifteen team play against Chelsea in the uh, under fifteen junior floodlight. Floodlit Cup and beat them to, uh, beat them on penalties after a two-all game after extra time. Right. I've seen one or two players in there, Nick, that I would I'm I'm quite excited about. Right. You know, um, I've only seen them in one game. That's all against Chelsea. But in that one game, I've seen what I think are two or three exciting players that you know, with the right work, with the right coaching, with a little bit of luck. Mm. With a with a good attitude, could go on eventually in 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 playing Southampton's first team. Right. Okay. You think possibly um, England internationals, future England internationals. What do you think? You never know, Nick. Do you? Yeah. No. Yeah. You know, we're talking about under 15s 
here. Yep. We're talking about 15-year-old boys. Yep. But, you know, and you know as well as I do that, you know, even at under 15s, they're being judged. 15-year-olds are being judged for the future. Absolutely. You know, yep. and, and, yep. and, and, you know, you know now the academies are going down to, you know, seven, eight-year-olds in the right. academy system. Absolutely. They're, they're looking to develop. And, and with, with the final crisis now in our, in our game, because of this horrendous virus, you know, it, it might be now where clubs are going to have to go back and start producing more, more, because they, they do produce, produce more of their own players, their, their own grown players. Right. And so, I mean, in terms of, as you think about, um, uh, I know that um, from being around, I think, definitely being out in continental europe i've seen the it's a more development friendly model but i think at the same time i think i think i think i do think i think it's harsh on british football and i think i think british football has taken a pattern over this last 20 years do you know what i mean in, in a lot of ways and um whether you're coming from northern ireland the republic of ireland the republic i'm not part of britain but the republic of ireland wales scotland and 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 you're seeing a lot of these lads coming in from continental Europe, you know, um, and they're literally taken. So it's going to be interesting with this pandemic. And I think also with Brexit, Brexit, I think, is maybe going to produce better players down the road simply because we won't, the, the kids from abroad can't come in. Literally, they can't come in. So um, do you think that's going to have a good effect on British clubs wanting to work more with non-league clubs and, clubs like that that they can create good partnerships with where you think that should be where a club like Southampton should really be looking long term yeah no absolutely I, I, I think I think that um, certainly with with this horrendous virus that, that we've got um, if I think now if I was heading up a, a department at, at a, at a, a, a Premier League Championship Club youth department. I would now be making plans to make us the best there there is in the UK. Right. You know, obviously, you know the European side of things are, are you need to be covered. But I would be putting all my thoughts and all my plans and all my work into making us the best there is in the UK at finding UK talent, which comes into your cat two, your cat threes, your non-league, your youth football, your grassroots. Mm. You know, to to find the talent there. Because Nick, we talk about recruit. The art of recruitment is finding the talent before it arrives right. in the first team of someone's football club. Because as soon as you play in somebody's first team, an Exeter are brilliant at it. When they've got young yeah, players coming through. <laughs> They yep. expose them to first-team football, even if they sit him on the bench and bring him on for the last five minutes of games that they've won, and they generate the they generate the interest, and then the big clubs are like sharks swimming around. Well, you know, you know, you know, it's interesting. The fact that you're talking about Exeter, obviously, they they've obviously had they had um, what do you call that? Well, Nathan Am Amadou. Ampadu, he came from Exeter. Now, it's interesting. I actually, I know there's a coach there, and we're supposed to have him on here, but he works within the the English setup now, Lee Skirm. 
Lee Skirm, we're hopefully going to have him on CAS, the CAS um, podcast here and just talking about his experience as a coach. But but um, they also seem to have a lot of good coaches as well. So I'm assuming that's why the kids are becoming what they're becoming. And Nathan Ampadu, he's at RB Leipzig right now and loan from Chelsea. So it just yeah. shows you, you don't always need to be um, at a big club um, times and where you're looking at the potential. Do you know what exactly. I mean? Yeah. No, exactly. But but the art of it, Nick, was to find him before he got into Exeter's first team. Right. You know, that was that's the art of it. You know, is is is, is to find him early, get him in your system. That's yeah. before because as soon as he got into Exeter's first team, then it's 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 an all everyone knows about him, don't they? Yeah. They you know. Do. Absolutely. That's and, exactly and I've got to say, by the way, he is he is one of the best young talents I've I've seen. Yeah, no, he, oh. he's look, he's looking good. A bit like, but well, Chelsea have got such a nucleus, don't they? Um, of good young players in there, in around their first team, you know. Um, so I mean, in terms of, um, I know, uh, I know, obviously at, at CAS, that's one of the things that we're always we're always wanting to educate um a lot of young players, letting them know um what things they need to be doing. Um, so if you were to give like your top ten, your top ten tips in terms of. For, to an academy player and to a player that's not been through the academy system yet, which sometimes is actually better, <laughs> what would your top 10 tips be to an aspiring academy player to get scouted, um, you know what I mean, um, whether it be becoming the CAS himself or going somewhere else? Um, and then what would your top 10 tips be to a player that hasn't been through the system and wants to get a contract somewhere? What would, what would be your... Or just make it five, oh, five of each. <laughs> what gosh, would you say? I, I, I would see that the, 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 sometimes young players, Nick, I think are better off staying where they are rather than going to the, the bigger club and maybe being lost in the system. Right. You know, because there's no doubt about it. If there's a pathway for them, right. you know, through the different age groups, being pushed early through the different, age groups being pushed into the under 16s under 18s early being then pushed having a pathway into the first team they will develop quicker than being in a, a, a big academy somewhere and not having those chances to progress quicker right you know? for those that are those that are not in that system now my my advice to them would be never give up hope right yeah. Never, never give up. Sometimes you, 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 you feel sorry for yourself. Sometimes you get frustrated. Never give up hope. If you believe that you have the ability to play, to be a professional footballer, and that's your dream, then you follow that dream through until you absolutely know that you have no chance yep. of achieving that. Yep, and do you, what, what are some of the tips that you've given the players? Like, obviously, I know you spoke about that kid, he came from Poland, and it just didn't work out for him at Wolves, and I know that's life sometimes. It, things just don't work out sometimes. But um, what would you say, like, um, in terms of to lads that are obviously trying to, do you think sometimes you can try too hard <laughs> and it just doesn't work for you? Yeah, some, sometimes Nick, I, I, I don't, I don't, I, I don't, I don't think that you you can ever try too hard. Mm. Um, you know, I, I think sometimes in situations 
things don't work out for whatever reason. Right. You know, and uh, and I'm not a I'm I'm not a big believer in it, a huge believer, but I do think that somewhere along the line, Nick, of your career, you do need a little bit of luck. Right. And so I had mine. I had mine. I had mine from a, a physiotherapist who said, "Give him a chance." That was my little bit of luck. Wow. Okay. You know? And so even all the other players that you've that have been through your hands throughout the years as a chief scout, you know what I mean, um, working at the highest level. Um, and I think that it's it's kind of seeing that if players kind of look hard enough, but also as well, I think they have to be doing the right things, don't they, as well? Because if they're not doing the right things, George, you're, they have to give you a reason to believe in them. Um, but, but if you're looking at a player, what are the things that you would say, if a player does these things, I'm, I'm going to stop looking at this player for this reason. What would you say those five reasons would be? I think uh, the, the first, the, the, the big one for me is, is attitude, Nick. Right, right. You know, it's the character. It's the right. character. You know, now maybe at a younger age group, uh, you know, when they're, they're mentally developing, you know, a lot of it, a lot of it you can change. Sometimes it's immaturity. It's immature. Sometimes the body language, shaking heads. You right. Know, it, looks, okay. it looks bad, but, you know, it, it, it's it's immaturity they're only young mm. now as they progress and get older and they've still got what we would class as a bad character right. then for me i'm not saying that it's a hundred percent but most of the time nick that's the character that stays with them yeah 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 you know it, it's it's so funny see when you talk about like i remember i had this i remember this one player and i recommended him to a club you know I just wanted to help this kid out, right? And he had scored 12 games and 13 youth internationals for Northern Ireland, right? Um, and this player, right, I'm not going to name him, but, but basically I, sent, I, I recommend to, to FC Groningen in the, in the Eredivisie, you know? And, um, and, he's there, and he's there with a player who, um, who I, really, I really rated. His name, was, his name is Aidan Rustic. He's doing very, very well. One of the best number 10s in, in the Dutch Premier League, you know, right now. Um, we'll probably get a move to the Premier League this, this summer, probably more than likely. Um, and one of the things that I remember when I was speaking to Aidan, and, and he turned around, and Aidan, he had come from Schalke, but he couldn't get into Schalke's first team because of, um, I think it was uh, Julian Draxler was in front of him, you know, at that time. And, and it's funny because when you speak to Aiden, he's like, he doesn't have bad physiology. And Peter Hoekstra, who you, when you were at Stoke, you remember Peter Hoekstra. Remember the little yes. winger? And he turns yeah, right. Yeah. And Peter would be like, um, he'd be like every, every time, and he'd say, if you get the ball, just give it to Aiden. <laughs> Because you had Aiden, and then you had the Dutch centre half, who was the captain of, I think it was the, I think it was the Dutch under seven. He had just won the European Championships, and so he said, "Just give the ball to Aiden." So Aiden say, like, "Okay," and he, he he gets the ball, and then whenever I remember speaking with Aiden, and he already had Adidas contract, and now he's moving to Nike, and so he's doing all of these things, but he's not distracted. And I remember speaking, and it's interesting when you see how aware someone is. Just how aware they are of who they are as a person, who they are as a player. Um, and 
you know the thing that blew my mind he said he said he said <laughs> he said to me i'm the best nobody's better than me do you know what i mean i'm i'm the main man you know i'll make things happen you know just give me the ball i'll make it happen you know what i mean and um he said, yeah, they value me They value me at 8 million, but I personally think I'm worth at the minute 25 million. <laughs> so yeah, he, well, and, but, but it wasn't, it wasn't, and he said, and I said, and I looked at him, and I thought, and he said, see, you think that's arrogant, don't you? He said, that's confidence. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. And so yeah. When, when you see that in a player, and you're looking at a player from a scouting, in terms of attitude, you think, Wow, that's a gr I like that attitude right there. Yeah, but there's some players, they would never think to say something like that. So it shows you how players are wired versus the other yeah. player I sent there who had been a youth international had and and he was like he was like um coming from he was coming from Northern Ireland, not as far away. And then you look at this kid, Aidan Rustich, he's come from Australia. He's the he's the son of two immigrants. Um and yeah. um and he's highly motivated, and he's already, this other kid isn't as motivated, and he's trying to get to where Iden, with this kid Iden Rustich is, but now you mm -hmm. see he's a star, because, yeah. because he's done the necessary, obviously he's only 23, but he's got a long way to go, but I just find it, I find it interesting, and it's interesting because I was looking at a picture of him recently, and it's, it's him running past David Neres. <laughs> Of Ajax, you know what I mean, and and I'm just yes. it, makes, it makes you really proud, you know, and um, when you see that. But like I say, um, there's keys to success, and follow that, follow the recipe, and you'll be successful. So, but um, yeah, yeah, but yeah, but it's 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 been really great speaking with you, George. I think I've really learned a lot, and George will be involved with CAS, so he'll he'll be scouting a lot of players. Um, like I say, George, we appreciate your experience. We think that. Uh, what players can learn from you and um, and some of the feedback you can give a player is 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 just oh, it's extremely extremely valuable you know um, and I'm I'm glad to have you. you on our team you know because I think that thank you think that you're such a you're such a great um, great ambassador for the for the football industry uh, just but as a person as well um, I think the things that you you bring to the personality and the things you'll tell a player um, a lot of people are afraid to to be honest with players sometimes but. Parents, players, agents, they need that honesty um, from people like yourself, you know. Um, so, yeah, absolutely. So, anybody's any comments, don't just leave them in the comment section below and don't forget to subscribe. And uh, uh, thank you for joining us on CAS TV.